The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So you've heard about it everywhere, AI, ChatGPT, but what does AI have to do, if anything, with how you live and work and play, with the choices that you get to make and the choices that might be taken from you, with the ability to do more of what you love and less of everything else, especially in the context of your job, your work, your workplace, your career and career path? Well, these are just some of the big questions and ideas that I am exploring with none other than truly visionary thinker Kevin Kelly. Kevin has played a pivotal role in shaping the discourse around technology and its potential impact on society for decades. He was the founding editor of Wired Magazine, has written for many of the biggest media outlets on the planet, and is a best-selling author with an impressive array of books, including What Technology Wants, The Inevitable, and his latest book, Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier is for anyone seeking to navigate life with grace and creativity. And as a senior maverick at Wired and co-chair of the Long Now Foundation, Kevin is currently spearheading an ambitious project to build a clock in a mountain that will take for 10,000 years. In addition to his writing, he hosts a daily blog and weekly podcast about cool tools, as well as weekly newsletter, Recommendo, that curates recommendations of cool stuff. And in today's conversation, we deep dive into the fascinating world of emerging technologies with a focus on AI to get some both exciting and maybe unsettling, but important truths, or at least guesses, unearthing the most groundbreaking ideas and insights that promise to redefine the very fabric of our work world and maybe even existence. We talk about things like the role of artificial intelligence in shaping our lives and the impact that AI may have on creative work and jobs and so much more. And while we are all in the very early days of this conversation with many unknowns, the possibilities are truly astonishing and the call to become knowledgeable in this space, no matter your job, organization or industry has become paramount. Join us in this really thought-provoking conversation. So excited to share it with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast, Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Just excited to dive in. You know, you've been 
writing and thinking about the intersection between tech and humanity for many, many years and love so many of the thoughts in the new book. And I certainly want to dive into a whole bunch of those. Before we get there, though, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't spend a little bit of time talking about what everybody is talking about these days, which is the world of AI, or as I know you prefer, AIs in plural. You know, generative AIs, and in particular, you're a writer, I'm a writer, a lot of listeners to this podcast consider themselves creative professionals or just creative on the side. They like to generate things. And there's so much fascinating conversation around what will be the effect of generative AIs on things like writing or art making, creativity. I'd love your sort of like a meta lens on that. First of all, just to kind of point blank for those who are worried is that um, you're not going to lose your your job if you're an artist. Okay. So to AI, I mean, there may be other reasons, but the AI is not going to take your job. It may change your job description, but that's the important part is, is that these are rapidly becoming tools that artists will use. And you could argue that there's kind of even a new art in making them. I like the term I just heard recently as syntho, synthographs. And I'm a synthographer, meaning that I'm making synthetic things with the AI. And that's how people are using them in a very creative way. There is like, you know, the early photographers who imitated painters for a while. There is some imitation going on and will continue to go on. But that most of the stuff being generated is going to be generated in places where there is no images right now or is no video. It's going to be filling in the blank spaces. And then the tools will also be used to make whole new kind of art that we don't have much experience with so far. You know, lots of the stuff being generated artist world is between um, photography and painting combination. And that's just talking about the image stuff. But then there's the entire chat, GPT and answers and stuff. And it's the same thing. I think for me, the, the best framing that people could take away with is to see them as uh, interns. This is universal personal intern that we're mm. all getting. We're all getting these interns. You want to check the intern work. You don't want to release the intern as your own work because it's going to be embarrassing. So these are assistants. These are co-pilots. These are guides. These are going to be used in many ways to generate things. Sometimes they're generating things that we can't alone generate or generate easily. So lots of stuff is being done a human could do it, but it's just so much trouble that we do it in a very precious way. We do it one of, whereas it, the AIs are doing 10 in a second. And that's huge. It's like searching a library, which librarians could do, but now Google, you could do frivolous searches. You could do all kinds of things with it. And I think this idea of having kind of an assistant that's good and sometimes producing things that we could not do alone and sometimes producing things that we could, but don't want to do it a lot. And that's really going to be thrilling to see what's not very good at is replacing us in terms of our judgment and we as humans have one thing that we do really really good that machines have trouble so far is that we have a really good sense of what really turns them on or what they really like a lot of the stuff produced by these assistants and interns is what i call wisdom of the crowd middle it's the average because they've been trained on the average the highest and the best and they're producing kind of mediocre, good enough to win the jelly bean prize for the right guests, the wisdom of the crowd version. And they have to be kind of pressed and pushed, nudged to get out of that. 
And what we as humans know is as long as the audience is other humans, we're going to be really good at kind of being able to produce something that wows a human or impresses them or makes them cry. You know, the AIs can tell jokes and they can tell a sad story, but to really touch it, we have, we, we have a much better sense of that. So our half of the job will be continuing to help them move and be capital uppercase creative. They can be lowercase creative, which is, there's a role for that. Every, you know, most graphic artists, most of what we produce every day ourselves is lowercase creativity. On that level, yeah, maybe they are competing with us on the lowercase creativity, just another logo, just another, you know, brochure put out that's a little different. But the uppercase creativity, the breakthrough does kind of still require us to appreciate, to guide it, to get it out of what's already been done before. And they will be useful with us even in that program, but I so far haven't seen evidence that they can do it entirely themselves. So I would say in brief that, you know, our job as creators will shift to being more like a director impresario where we have a bunch of interns and assistants working with us to produce something, doing a lot of the work that we don't want to do and sometimes things that we can't do ourselves very easily. But it will continue to be something that it's a joint work. It's a collaboration. And those people who learn to work with the AI as well, to understand their little language and their quirks and to be able to whisper to them, I think they're going to have the blazing pass. But we always have the option to do something by hand without the assistance. And there will be some people who will want that kind of art. And that's fine. That option isn't going to go away. I love the framing as a sort of assistant or a personal right. intern. And that's in fact very much the way that I've been sort of experimenting with it and using it. When I write, I often, especially a longer length piece, I often think of it as taking multiple passes. The first pass is just to get the fundamental facts and ideas out. And then I take more passes for voice and rhythm and cadence and punch and all these things. And I feel like what you're describing is very much the way that I've been experiencing it, which is it helps you get that first pass almost out of the way. But the just rote information isn't so much what human beings respond to, unless all you're looking for is an answer to a problem. Yeah. You know, it's the voice, it's the humanity that's wrapped around it that really draws people in. Yeah. I think we do have progress. And I think even our storytelling has progressed. I think the complexity of the stories that we tell, like say in, in the 110 hours of Lost, was far more complex than even the Odyssey was or, or, or anything in Shakespeare. And so that connecting with humans in the human situation in an artful way is continuing to evolve. And we are experts at that. You know, we get satiated with the simple, easy stories. And now we want something that's more complicated and complex and nuanced. And there's nobody better at detecting that than a fellow human right now. It could change over time, but that's, that's where we are right now. I think that idea of using them as part of the crew that we're using. And that's the thing is for a very long time, you know, a single person could write a novel, write a story and text that millions of people could read and appreciate and could change their lives. But you needed teams and teams of people to do it in video or make a game. But I think what's going to happen is that that bar is going to be lowered through the AIs to enable a single individual to make a movie completely. Yeah as they see it, a very personal movie using the team of the AIs to work with them to produce 
feature length movie that they've concocted out of the brain like a novel. And that's going to be hugely impactful because, you know, there'll be thousands of really bad <laughs> movies made, but that's the cost we, we pay. And, um, but nonetheless, some real geniuses will work in this. To me, that's the superpower that's being unleashed is, is that we're going to kind of like unleash individual humans to work in these areas where it did take a crew of other humans, but now it'll take a crew of assistants and interns, AI versions to work together to produce a new kind of work. So in addition to like people like me just helping with the first draft, the empty page, which is really hard, there's also this sense of like, they can help us complete things in a way that we as individuals would have great difficulty doing. It was like possible for an individual to do this over their lifetime. They can make maybe a, a movie, but now again, the tools just lower the availability of that to uh, individuals. And I think that's tremendously liberating. Yeah. The distinction you make between lowercase creativity and uppercase creativity is interesting to me also. When I think about, you know, there are entire industries of prescriptive content, like in the business domain, personal development domain, and a wide variety of domains where the ethos is largely get the information out in no small part because uh -huh. there's some business slash positioning value oh, to yes. that. It's going to benefit the individual, the organization from in a business context. And I wonder about that domain of sort of prescriptive content that is not focused largely on the creative element of it, but more just the pure information element of it. To me, that feels like the part of this that is more subject to taking a head. Yes, absolutely. So that lowercase creativity where you are generating things again, where they're just blanks. And so it's really clear that one of the best use cases for this stuff is going to be used in the medical realm right? Yeah. and the diagnosis and um, interactions with doctors. And um, what we know so far, which is that, you know, by itself, the AIs are not nearly as good as a human. But at the same time, we also know that increasingly human doctors are using the AIs to help them because they're getting smarter that way. And so the result seems to be that, you know, the AI plus human, that team, is the best combination. It's better than an AI and it's better than a human. But there's one thing that we also want to remember, which is the, you know, the entirely solo AI doctor is not as good as a human doctor, but it's better than no doctor. And there are just vast areas of the world where they don't have access to doctor. So having access to a AI doctor is a step up. So there's two things happening, two different dimensions. There is this that's the prescriptive sense where you're like, yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of rote. It's not going to be that creative, but it's serving something where there's a blank already. It's mm -hmm. already, there is no doctor, so it's better than no doctor. And then it's helping the best doctors become even better. And that's the same thing in creativity. It's like, yeah, it's going to generate a lot of things where there is no image right now. Or there is no text. It's going to be prescriptive and fill in that. And it's going to enable the best to become even better, the best yeah. humans. And it sounds like also like those who maybe, quote, getting by, functioning on the level of lowercase creativity now, mm -hmm. will find themselves both freed and pushed to not yes. function at that level anymore. Exactly right. right. In the 80s, let's say, when the computer world was started, there were librarians who did searching. They were paid to do searches on this system called Dialogue, which had all the um, scientific literature thing. And, and it was so expensive and so obscure and so technical that you actually needed a professional to search and because they were charging you whatever it was, $60 a minute 
or more. You couldn't have frivolous searches and you had to kind of lay it out. You have a plan and you had to have something go in. They had very obscure ways of searching for things. It was not at all like Google. There was no weighted page ranking and all that kind of stuff. So that version of librarians did lose their jobs to Google. And when Google came along, everybody could then search with the same power. You had a personal librarian now. And a lot of that was kind of, as we would understand it now, a very prescriptive kind of searching. They were literally doing keyword search for things that we don't even think twice about doing 100 times a day. So that job, that task, we'll say, that task went away. Librarians are still needed because there's this, and they're, and they're still power searchers on Google. There are not that many who make their living doing that, although there was in the beginning. There were, there were power searchers who were still being paid to research things, but the tools for that keep increasing. So, so that, that task is certainly not something that we do. And for those few people who that was their task, that that job did go away. And if your task right now is in the kind of the rote um, creative world where you're producing things that are more formulaic, that task is liable, very liable to be passed on to the lowercase creativity of an AI. And at the same time, if you're somebody who's inclined to say, well, if voice and texture and phrasing and the uh, the, the uppercase creativity mm-hmm. actually is what matters most now, I get to now spend so much more of my time in that world, which right. for a lot of people, I think is going to be a lot more fulfilling and satisfying. I know for me, that's the bent I'm taking. There's one other aspect of um, what's happening now that I've been curious about that I haven't heard a lot about, but I have a feeling we're going to hear a lot about in the coming year, which is this notion of you know, another element of, of what's happening in, around AIs in the domain of audio and video, especially mm-hmm. is the ability to create human sounding um, voice and video. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. that literally is close to in, indistinguishable from mm-hmm. real life human beings. Um, I know we use this technology already in the production side of podcasting mm-hmm. and audio production to great benefit. And because it eases certain things, we're heading into a year <laughs> where the potential for audio and video to proliferate around the world and become just an onslaught of things where it's very hard to detect reality Mm -hmm. from what's fake. I'm curious whether you feel like there is any potential for almost like an existential crisis of digital gaslighting where you just, you don't really know what's real or fake anymore. So here's my, my rough guess. When I'm watching a movie these days, I sort of, my assumption is that it's all entirely CGI. I just assume that's everything. And the thing is, is that I don't really care. Hmm. I don't care if at that moment the actor is there or not. I mean, even if I, I mean, even if it's a full face, it's, I, I literally don't care. If the creators are happy and they're doing it and I can't tell, then I'm perfectly fine. I care if I can tell. That's a different matter, but you just said it, we get to the point where we can't tell. So let's assume that we can't tell. And in that case, I don't care about in the movie. And, and, my, and I think the default that we're going to have is that we're going to assume, for the most part, that any image has been created by an AI unless we're told otherwise. Where I do care is in the news. Mm, exactly, yeah. I care tremendously there. And there's going to be the explicit you know, promise from the news organizations, is that the default for us is going to be it's a real thing unless we tell you otherwise. And then it comes down to when you see something that is like, where did it come from? Did this come from a reliable source? Because that's the only way. You can't tell by looking at it. 
you can only tell from where it came from. And so that's, that's what it come down to is that, and we might have systems where we can kind of embed that kind of provenance right, in right, right. Yeah. things to say, this is, you pass along and it's like, this is a believable source or not. There'll be people who want to spoof the source, of course, it, for ill, but again, there'll be ways and coming back to something else, which I did say is that there always will be ways to tell. We can make AIs to look at things to determine whether this was made. They're always big. It's usually a matter of money, of how much is it worth. And so how bad do you want to know? And there will be ways to verify that this is true. And we'll have an instrument for verification if we care about it. And so for new sites, there'll be constantly people testing them to say, you know, to verify that the, that they're keeping their end of the promise. Then it comes down to like individuals where you're going to have to, and I think this idea of disclosure is going to be something and, and I'm all for it. Yeah, you should disclose whether or not um, this has been altered and if it matters to people. So like when I have a photograph and I issue a photograph, I don't dis- disclose how much Photoshop I used on it mm. because it doesn't matter. For what I'm doing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. It may matter to someone else. If I was trying to do something where the actual degree of Photoshop mattered, then I would have some kind of disclosure about it, or I should have some kind of disclosure about, you know, I'm I'm using it not just to change, affect, tweet the color, but I'm moving things around, okay, whatever it is. So I think with both with disclosures and with a providence in sense of um, Provence, maybe that they are tracking that i think that's how we're going to do it and i think the default is going to be for most people is to assume that these tools were involved just as i see a photograph today i assume that's been through photoshop to some extent some level it's touched it in some way and you know if it's a news photograph i expect that that touching will be very minimal i think that's the promise they're making you probably look it up if it's an artist in a museum i would assume it's pretty high in the involvement of Photoshop. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I guess the middle ground is you've got news on one side, you know, and you've got the individual on the other side. And then in the middle, we've got these giant social platforms, which is where so many people, um, especially of certain generations, right, right, get right. their quote news. And and then there's, you know, I mean, right now, as we're talking, literally there's, you know, arguments going on around legislation about like how much responsibility the platforms have around the accuracy, the legitimacy of the content that appears on them. And I think that's going to be a really interesting domain. Yeah. Should the platforms take the role of journalism as media that they have? And while at the same time, they're, they're, you know, I post my art on it. So there's the vehicle for art. I think holding the platforms to that is giving them the wrong job. I don't think they possibly can. I think it's much better to try to educate people to assume that anything they see is been you know, manipulator fixed or whatever, unless there's a outfit claiming otherwise and proofing it. And so if you see something forwarded by someone else or retweeted, you should just assume that it's not real. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be an interesting um, couple of years coming our way, right? as, as it always is. Sure. Thank you so much. If you love this conversation with Kevin Kelly, you can find more about his work and where to buy his latest book, Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier at KK.org or follow him on Twitter at Kelly2Kelly for daily musings and insights. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, 
looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.